We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. Hello and welcome to the Making Queer History podcast, where we connect our queer history to our queer present. I'm Laura. And I am Will. And today we're going to be talking about... Yukio Mishima. Yes, which is going to be exciting. I'm, yes. There's a lot of opinions. He's a he's a pretty controversial guy. And it's an intricate story, I think. I agree. I agree. And he's like, it's it's complex. Yes. like By complex, I mean, I don't like it. <laughs> and I, I... Yeah, it's interesting. But before we get into that, we are going to talk about the news of Making Queer History Project. So um, you probably know by now if you've been listening to the podcast that we've made some changes with the project, and there are actually some more changes coming up in the future. Um, For patrons, there's actually going to be a huge change to how our Patreon works because me and Dean are working on some exciting things for the future so that there's more exclusive content to y'all without taking much away from everyone else. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm hyped. So again, now's a good time to become a patron. I, I think all the time is a good time to become a patron. If you like queer history, if you want to hear queer stories being told, you if should definitely you wanna, become a patron of us. If you want to support queer creators, it's exactly. an exciting time, and so now's the time to do it. Exactly. And you can follow us on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest now, which is all very exciting. But most importantly, you should check us out on Patreon. Patreon.com slash queer history. Very simple. Very easy to find. And you will find all of these links on our website, Mm -hmm. which is www.makingqueerhistory.com. Also, Dean just made a huge change to how the website looks. So if you haven't been on there for a while, you should definitely check it out because like it's a lot more accessible. It's a lot more sort of easy to work around. Very streamlined and intuitive. Exactly. It looks good. It looks good. And um, that's really great because I remember when I first made uh, the website, I had absolutely no experience making a website at all. I literally was like, okay, squarespace.com. Let's figure it out. And to be fair, I am really proud of the work that I did then. But Dean has more experience than I ever did at that age. And like at that time. Shout out to Dean for being amazing. Shout out to Dean. We need to do that at least every podcast because Dean's always doing something amazing in the background that you all may not notice immediately because Dean does a lot of background work. So like my name is on a lot of things, as you've probably noticed. But the background work that Dean does is so important. So we just want to shout him out as much as possible. Once every episode. That's Once every episode. That's the minimum. And he's just like doing great work. So so just like keep that in mind. The the website is just like a lot better, a lot more streamlined, a lot cooler. And there's also going to be a lot of sort of changes to how we work with the website. And it, it's really vague, but I want to announce this to patrons first and make sure that they're cool with it before I start announcing this on the podcast. But... Another important note, just so you know, the podcast is released a month early for patrons, which is something that I really love doing and also means that the news is much more ahead for patrons. Relevant. Well, sometimes like it's still relevant and like you're not going to see this release until a lot later either, but patrons are going to get all news before you basically. That's just how it is. 
in that strain, there is also a presentation to look forward to in Edmonton. I'm going to be doing a presentation with ASPEC. So keep an eye out for the details with that. And just so you know, if you're not a patron, you'll still be getting this news well within time to come to the presentation, I promise. And patrons will have you obviously have advanced notice, so just like keep an eye out. I'm probably going to add some stuff about the presentation on Lens. And if you are a patron, there has been an update to the sort of Patreon structure in in the form of creating a Google Docs file where we have all of our presentations, all of our graphics, all the basically everything that we've done with the project sort of in one place that you have complete access to. So, you know, our um, presentation on queer history in Edmonton we have there, our presentation on queer history in Canada we have there, our presentation on queer history and disability and the intersections of history there we have up there. I think we have our history of asexuality and the asexual community there. We have so many different presentations that we've given that if you weren't able to go to, you can now just go through the presentation. So if you want access to that, you can become a patron at $4 a month. That's our our lowest tier. You just have complete access to that as well as getting a sticker and a whole bunch of other cool rewards. There's a lot of cool things going on. Exactly. And you should also consider checking out our shop. Yes, we have completely rebooted the shop, which means all the designs that you saw before are gone. And we've replaced them with entirely new designs. Well, not all of them are new. Some are remakes. Some are remakes. Some are completely new. Exactly. They're all amazing, though. Thank you. Um, Yeah, and it's just, like, a lot cleaner and a lot easier to have, like, a, a, a bit fewer designs. So it's not as chaotic to go through them. And also, they're all designs that I'm really proud of because... Like with the website, I started this project in 2015, and a lot of those designs are from then, and I had absolutely no experience with graphic design, and I still wouldn't, like, qualify myself as an expert or, like, really knowledgeable on a graphic design, but through, you know, the how many years I've been doing this project? Five years? Five years. Or maybe four. Four, four, four and then some. Four and then some. Uh, I've been doing this project. I have gotten to have so much experience in, in like graphic design that I've really enjoyed working with. But at the same time, most of the things are from Dean because Dean is actually an artist who knows what the heck they're doing, which I'm not. But that's okay. And yeah, no, I, I just like the earlier designs were rough, but we got to read masters of them and like make them all cool and fancy. And I'm really excited for that. And if you are a patron, know that we're going to have a couple polls coming up within the next couple of months to remove some designs and add some designs to the shop because we want to have more of a rotating thing with that instead of letting it all pile up. So if you are not a patron and are interested in any of these designs, you do have to get them pretty quickly because we are going to be switching them out for the first year every six months because we're completely redoing how we do the shop. So a lot of these designs you just won't see again, unless you're a patron, in which case you have access to all our designs. And if you're interested in any of the designs that are no longer up on the store and you're a Patreon or a patron, you can just message me and I'll put it up on the store for you to buy. Or if you haven't gotten your reward yet, you can just message me and I will just send you out whichever design you want, past, present, not future. I'm sorry, I can't do that. No time travel. No time travel. I'm sorry, I'll do most things for patrons, but I I can't actually do that. Though it would make making queer history like... A lot cooler. You know how we're always talking about like past and present, Mm -hmm. it would be neat to add future to that. It would. And it would be neat to like have a time travel device to actually like talk to these people. Oh yeah. 
I'm going to go ahead and say that 75% of them I would not get along with. Like, even if I love them, actually, especially if I love them, because, you know, I like, I like people who are dissimilar to me and who aren't, aren't exactly like me. But I feel like if I met half the people that I've written about, we would not get along at all. So, you know, time travel, once it comes, there's going to be some cool stuff for you patrons. But until then, um, only patrons have access to all the designs we've ever made. And, you know, the rest of y'all will just have to take what you have so in other words 2020 brought with it a lot of cool changes Mm -hmm. and we're really excited to see where 2020 is going to take us exactly and for the price of one coffee a month you know if you're getting starbucks coffee which is fancy coffee not tim horton's coffee which is garbage coffee you don't even like coffee i don't even like coffee but like it's true but for the price of one coffee a month one decently fancy coffee you can just support making for history so we can keep telling these stories from our history and keep sharing them with you and keep like creating all these amazing things and connecting with all these incredible people and also have access to all the cool things that we just talked about so I it's think a win-win situation yeah, it's a win-win-win-win-win-win you're right you're right exactly because it's a win for us because we get to be paid which is super it's a win for y'all because you have access to a whole bunch of things that no one else has access to it's a win for other people because it just means that like people have free access to queer history because we wouldn't be able to do this if it wasn't for the patrons who are paying us to do this it's a win for the universe as a whole because more queer history and more discussion of queer history just makes it all better. It just does. And it's a win for community, I think. I think it's a win Not for community. Not to brag. Not but... to, yeah. But like, even if you don't like making queer history, which is totally fine, having another source of free queer history, I think is really important just for the people who, just like for the interest of diversity, for the interest of like, if you don't get along with like the sort of, not even like get along, but like if you don't jive with like other types of way, <laughs> Other types of telling queer history, maybe ours will fit with you. Or if you don't jive with our way of telling queer history, there are going to be other types of projects. So the more the merrier, really. That's true. And we all know that the more queerness put into this universe, the happier we're going to be. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that's all the news we have for this month. So we're just going to dive into talking about... Yukio Mishima, which I actually, I think actually for the first time today, I reread the article after posting it. And like, I was actually really surprised by it because I haven't reread the article because I'm honestly not a huge fan of this guy. Just not. He's not the greatest. I, I don't really like him that much as like a historical figure. I think there's a lot of problems with like the way he viewed the world and the way he viewed himself in the world. But because of that, I've sort of never reread the article. But I reread the article today so I could like freshen up and like remember all the things that I might have forgotten. And do you know what? It was a really good article. <laughs> y'all should read it. You sh- y'all should read it. Like, I know you're probably listening to the podcast, like, because maybe you don't read all our articles, but you should also read the article for this one because I'm like actually really proud of it. And I hadn't realized it was so good <laughs> because I hadn't reread it. So I got to look at it with fresh eyes and be like, oh, I'm actually a pretty decent writer. Also, this guy was, yep, yeah, no, I was right. I was right not to read it. He's sort of a dick. Being said, before we um, get into this person's life, we want to do some content warnings. First, we're going to say content warning for suicide because at the end of this man's life, we're going to be talking about that. Um, I'll try to give content warnings towards that point again, but we're also going to be talking about it throughout the episode because suicide is a theme throughout this man's life, specifically seppuku. So if that's something that you don't want to hear about, this episode probably isn't for you. Feel free to turn us off. We love you. Take care of yourself. But if you feel like you are able to listen to that 
at least like it peppered through the podcast, we will also be reminding you when we're going to sort of get more into details, but we're never actually going to get into details. We're not going to like share any of the gory parts. We're just going to like explain the situation of events because, you know, we're not like a true crime podcast. We're not. And we're trying very hard not to be. (laughs) We're trying very hard not to be. Honestly, I just like in general, like the more I do this work, the more I'm like, I'm not interested in sharing the gory details of queer history. Like we need to talk about the painful parts, but I don't think we need to revel in the violence or like, that's not fair. I think there are some great people talking about that aspect, but making queer history just isn't going to be one of those groups that talks about how these violent aspects of queer history happened. We're going to acknowledge they happened, but I just don't think that the details need to be brought up in our particular project. But if you're interested in knowing the details, because that's totally fine, not a bad thing. The details do exist online. You can find them. You can also find them in the source list for our article. There will definitely be more details there. And you can read a lot more about what happened. I can't recommend any like podcast or anything about this man because I haven't listened to any podcast episodes. I can't like individually recommend a podcast. But yeah, there's... Check the sources for this podcast for the article. Probably Mm -hmm. also just Google him. And you can also just like keep that in mind if there is any like sort of violence that we talk about either in the articles or in the podcast. And you're like, oh, I sort of want to know more about that. Our sources will generally have a lot of information there, and I will generally source ones that have more information around the violence. We just generally keep it out of our discussions. Yeah, because I don't want to. Like, And also we want to keep it... PG-13? Yeah. So like that, very frankly, teenagers can listen to this with other parents being like, what's going on? And yeah, just, I also just, I feel like the media really revels in queer violence and like violence done to queer people and violence perpetrated by queer people. And I just don't feel like adding to it. Even if the reality is there was violence, that does not mean that I have to dive into the violence. You can just like be... Also, I'm not equipped for it. Like, I'm just not. Mm. So I'm not gonna like fumble my way through it. I'm not interested. So yeah. With that that in mind, we're gonna talk about Yuki Mishima. Yeah. Who was, um, Yugimishima is actually his, his pen name. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually have one more disclaimer before we jump in. Yugimishima is from Japan. And because of that, he was also a very political man. And we're not Japanese. And we don't know a huge, huge amount about Japanese politics and history. And a Japanese person would be able to explain that better. And he died in the 70s. So it's not like it was like ancient history. So keep that in mind when we talk about these things. We're not going to dive into like the, the nitty gritty details of the politics either. Just because we're not experts in Japanese politics, but we are going to talk about his own political beliefs. So just like Keep that in mind. A Japanese person can probably better explain the politics of this entire time period a little better than we can, but we are going to be talking about this man and his politics specifically. So if you want a bigger view of the history, feel free to look at another source. I encourage you to. And it's always fun to do your own research. Exactly. And we shouldn't be your last stop on making, like, on queer history. We shouldn't be your last stop. We really, really want to be a starting point for you to find the stories you're interested in. And then dig deeper. Yeah. And just like follow that thread because, you know, you're not going to, I'm going to assume you're not going to be interested in everyone we talk about. I'm not interested in everyone I talk about, but I think you're going to find someone through listening to our podcast or reading our articles that you're interested in and you're going to be able to dig. Consider us telling these stories uh, as us throwing spaghetti onto a wall. Exactly. Something's and gonna stick. Something's gonna stick. The wall's your brain. The spaghetti is the 
these podcasts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's get into the spaghetti of it. Let's go. So Yukumishima uh, is a pen name that the man who was originally named Kimitaki Hirioka uh, mm-hmm. chose to publish his his literary works under. Mm-hmm. And then he sort of just stuck by the name and it's the name that is most often used for him. Mm-hmm. And he was born, and it's, and it's also going to be the name that we use throughout this podcast. Yeah, just because it seemed like it's a name I prefer. And he was born in January in 1925. Mm-hmm. And he was born to sort of a more aristocratic family, specifically his grandmother, who uh, raised him for his earlier years, was sort of more on the aristocratic style, like, life. And she was, like, interesting, interesting life he lived with her, where she definitely encouraged him to participate in more traditionally feminine activities and sort of discouraged him from more traditionally masculine activities. She specifically worked hard to keep him Inside the house and out of the sun, mm-hmm. away from uh, boys his age, mm-hmm. and instead... With female cousins and female fami- family members, which, you know, not a parenting choice I would agree with, but, you know, it's interesting. And then he moved from frying pan to fire, in my opinion, with his father, who was the really opposite end of the spectrum, where he was like, we need to, like, masculinize this kid. And he would, like, tear up his poetry or, like, his writings, and he would just... Wasn't a great parent, in my opinion. And he was like, no, you need to be masculine. And anything that you do that isn't masculine is, like, bad and needs to be punished. Including some, like, mentally abusive tactics to sort of, quote-unquote, try to fix him. It should also be said that his grandmother and him also didn't have the healthiest relationship. Mm-hmm. And his grandmother certainly also also put out some... some um, had some bad influence on him, to yes. put it that way. Se- seemingly most of his parental forces were not the greatest. He had a really, really good and close relationship with his mother. Yes. Uh, that never never really faded. They were always really close. Mm-hmm. Even when his father uh, discouraged his writing and forbade him to write, mm-hmm. he would always... He would keep writing and then let his mom read his writings first. Mm-hmm. And she would always encourage him to keep writing and keep diving into that. And, you know, we're glad we he had that source of support in his life. Because I think most kids need that. At least one. Yes. And we wish he didn't have the other pressures in his life. But writing seemed to be his passion. And he was amazingly good at it. He started writing at like a really young age. I think he started mm-hmm. writing his first uh, poetry when he was about 12. Mm-hmm. And then he just kept going and he pretty much didn't stop. Mm-hmm. One of his teachers helped him helped him publish his first book under the pen name um, Yuki Mishima. Mm-hmm. And the pen name was specifically chosen because in the school that he was in, he would have been bullied or ostracized by being interested in literature. Yeah. And it happened later that he joined a literary club mm-hmm. as part of his education mm-hmm. and he was actually again, ostracized and made fun of for participating in that. Yeah. Which, not great. Yeah, interesting. (laughs) But still, he continued to pursue literature, which I think probably is a huge part of how disciplined he became, because he became really, really hyper-focused on the idea of discipline and sort of traditional values, because he was sort of forced to figure his own way out. And no one was really, well, I'm sure there were some people, but people weren't 
clamoring to encourage him in his writing. And that being said, once his writing started getting out there, people started loving it, basically. He actually became one of the most famous Japanese writers in sort of Western consciousness. He was tapped a couple times for some like really big prizes. He just in general, he was really, really well loved. And his work spanned to a lot of different art forms, including like poetry, stories, short stories, novels, all those kind of things. He even made a movie. He was an mm. actor. He yep. was a model for a little while. He just went all in. He really, really did. And yeah, he was very self-disciplined and really believed in his sort of own ability to control his circumstances. But at the same time, and like interestingly enough, he was also very preoccupied with aestheticism and mm -hmm. things that are beautiful. Including himself. In yes, including himself. Giving him sort of this hyper focus on his own beauty and the idea of it leaving as he grew older was absolutely terrifying to him. Like he was very, very fearful of losing his beauty as he aged. And he was also very preoccupied with like beauty in, in other men mm -hmm. and, in, and in his own country and in his own culture. And he, he dived a lot into that in, in all of his works. Mm -hmm. Which a lot of his works were semi-autobiographical. And that's sort of where you find out that he was probably gay. And well, there's a lot of other proof, but this is like some of the most like clear themes of um, attraction between men is in his work. And around his attraction between men, there is some, not controversy, but sort of like room for interpretation because he never was really like, I'm gay or I'm bisexual. But he was in fact married to a woman and they did have two children together. And he sort of was of the belief that he could control his sexuality in a certain way. Which ties back into his idea of self-discipline and like just ability to control himself to sort of an, a ridiculous degree. But he did believe that he could just sort of choose to be straight, which is not an accurate view of sexuality. But at the same time, it sort of draws a little bit of, oh, is it possible that he was bisexual and while experiencing attraction to men and maybe even a more prominent attraction to men, he also experienced a degree of attraction to women. And because of that, Maybe he considered that, like, that was his own doing. I don't know if that makes sense, but maybe it, it was because he was bisexual that he was like, oh, I can control my sexuality. Not that that's what bisexuality is, but it's understandable that that could be someone's interpretation of their sexuality. And I don't want to, like, stomp on his interpretation of his sexuality. And I feel like that mindset is is not, is, is like, very unsurprising mm -hmm. considering the harshness he received from his father about yes. femininity. And so a lot of internalist homophobia right there. Yeah. And he, he struggled a lot with it. In general, he was he was a very sort of contradictory man. He would, would say things, but then do other things. And while he had this, like, very huge focus on the idea of self-discipline, he also didn't really follow through on a, a lot of occasions, specifically saying that he had these really firm ideals, but then do things that didn't really fit into them. And that's not saying that like those weren't correct or like he was wrong, but it is saying that like it's sort of hard to pin him down and he sort of saw himself as a very solid man. So it, it's sort of interesting and it's very possible that that was just like the difference between how he displayed himself to the world versus how he displayed himself to himself. 
Uh, it's actually interesting because after his death, uh, his wife and kids refuted the fact because there was a rumor that that he was a gay man, and his wife and kids constantly refuted it mm-hmm. and worked to disprove it and wouldn't want to hear anyone speak of it pretty much. Mm-hmm. And then one of Mishima's previous lovers, a male writer, uh, published or or mm-hmm. made made public some some letters, some love letters specifically that have been sent between him and Mishima. Mm-hmm. And I believe Mishima's kids actually sued him for it. Yeah. And then won. Yeah. And that's interesting it's not to you know pull back the thread of bringing the past into the present because if you're listening to this as a patron really recently or like um in january which is when this is uh being recorded you will know that there was a very famous man who recently died and that famous man did something that people don't want to talk about after his death because they believe it to be disrespectful. And these are very different situations. Very opposite sides of yeah, spectrums. Because not even on spectrums. So. Yeah, not even on the same spectrum. But it's sort of on the same discussion, which sort of comes out every time someone dies. Like controversial or not, someone has done something messed up and then they die. And then people are like, don't talk about it. You need to respect the family. And sometimes even the family's saying that. But in the end, refuting or ignoring the truth and refusing to acknowledge truth does not serve anyone. We pretend that it does because maybe it'll serve them emotionally for a short period of time. But in reality, it doesn't serve you long and it will hurt us as a community, as a community of humans outside of just talking about the queer community. As a community of humans, after someone's death, refusing to acknowledge the mistakes that they made, or not even the mistakes that they made in Yukio Mishima's life, but the reality of their life. Just refusing to acknowledge traits exactly. or events. Is, it doesn't help. You think it does. You think it will because you're like, we need to respect the family's wishes. And to a point, we do. And if the family's like very frank about like, hey, don't discuss this with me. Yes, back off. Do not talk to them about it. Yeah. But that doesn't mean don't talk about it. And if you're adding like the family members about this, like gross, stop that. But at the same time, we need to have an honest discussion of people after their death. Otherwise, we're going to create this mythology around people. That's not accurate. And also, it's going to do a disservice to the human community because if we treat the dead like mythical figures who did nothing wrong or did nothing that the family wouldn't be proud of, we're going to erase queer people. Like, facts are, queer people are gone. That is how... That is a huge, huge factor in how queer history has disappeared. One example that I have actually been reading about recently is Jane Austen. And we're not going to talk about the queerness of her life because there's definitely reason to believe that she was queer, but that's not what this episode's about. But I am going to say that the biography of her life was written by a family member the thing that everyone references as fact about her life and what we sort of mythologize about her life was written by a family member who lied, who was provably wrong. And not only that, but the family created this mythology around Jane Austen. And while I'm like, he lied, it's very likely he believed what he said because his family told him that. After her death, 
Her family created an entirely different narrative around her life. They were like, she only talked to family members. She was very quiet. She like wasn't very talkative. She was like this very modest woman who like only talked to people within, within her own station, which is provably false. And because the family had such a focus and such a grip on the narrative on her life being something completely different from reality, we still have that narrative of her life which is wrong. We are not acknowledging the truth of someone's life because some people were uncomfortable with it. And it's such a silly thing now. Like reading about it, I I read about this in this book called Secret Sisterhood, reading about the things that they decided not to share. It seems so silly. Like things of like her having friendships outside of her family. I'm like, you mean like everyone? (laughs) That's entirely normal. And to us in like a modern sensibility, 100% is like, why would you even not say that? But at the time, it made sense to ignore that. And at the time, it made sense that they're embarrassed by that. And that's not saying their emotions are wrong at all. But someone's legacy needs to be driven by truth, not by the emotions of the family after their death. And removing things from legacies just skews the narrative completely. Mm -hmm. And it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful to the person's life because while we talk about talking about the truth of someone's life after they die as a disrespectful act, in my opinion, it is infinitely more disrespectful to lie about their life or to ignore a portion of their life because I believe, and you know, you may not all believe this, but speaking from personal experience, my dad died when I was 12 and I've heard a lot of different narratives about his life. And I know a lot of different narratives about his life. And I can't judge any other family member who's like, I don't want to talk about this aspect. That's fine. Cool. We won't talk about it. But the idea of someone refusing to acknowledge a part of my father, even the not pretty parts, because they're not pretty parts. There are bad parts of my father's legacy, but it is infinitely more disrespectful to me and my memory of him to ignore that those things happened. And it is infinitely more important to me that the reality of his life is shared than I'm comfortable because my comfort is important. But people who died are still people and they deserve the respect of the truth, even if it makes other people uncomfortable, including family members. And you can acknowledge that there's something that you don't like or that you don't want to talk about, about a person without making that a mandate of the discussion around a person's life. We live in this beautiful time where you can do this thing, where you block out things. Remove yourself from the conversation. And that's great, but you cannot stop the conversation from happening. Like you can, but you shouldn't try. It it shouldn't be a thing. It shouldn't be a thing. It's not gonna help you and it's not gonna help the family and it's not gonna help the person who died and it's not gonna help us who are mourning and who aren't mourning. It's not going to help the human community to pretend that people who died are either evil or perfect because the people who are still alive are going to think that they have to be that way. So if they do something wrong, they're evil. If they do something right, they're perfect. So we don't criticize people the way they should be criticized. We don't criticize ourselves the way we should be criticized. So that's the big rant of the day. (laughs) We should probably get back on track. But yeah, that's just something that like I think is very, very important to talk about. And y'all probably already guessed this. We're talking about Kobe Bryant. And to be fair, I am someone who knows very little and cares very little about Kobe Bryant. Sorry he died. Seems like a horrifying thing that happened. He wasn't someone that I really 
thought about in life. And he's not someone I really think about. But it's impossible not to see the discussion that's going on right now. And it happens every time a celebrity dies. They're like, oh, it's so disrespectful to talk about the, the parts of them that we don't like talking about. And that's not that's not a healthy outlook. That's not how the conversation should go. Mm-hmm. Anyways, we should continue talking about Yukio Mishima. But yeah, so rolling back from his death earlier on, before he died, he was also very sort of like anti-Western influences in Japan. And he was very obsessed with, uh, not obsessed, but like uh, in particular about Japan's cultural history. Mm-hmm. He had huge fascination of like the samurai yeah. and the nation's like history. Specifically the history of violence. Yes. Let's let's be frank about it. He was very anti-pacifism, that, the, the pacifistic stance of Japan after World War II. He was very anti that. He was like, Japan should have violent, like, Japan has a violent history. It should still be a part of our present. There's, I don't like him. I don't actually, like that thought. There are actually these quotes from him talking about how one of the things that define Japanese people and in Japan is the mixture of violence and elegance. Which, interesting. Not a take that I agree with, but, you know, whatever. Like, and I'm not saying that history doesn't exist and that he's 100% wrong that that exists. But at the same time, it's not a take that I'm like, nice. It's an interesting take. It's an interesting take. And it's very interesting because you can sort of see that both the sort of like left wing and right wing communities of Japan were like, no, thanks. Don't want to hang with this guy. Don't want to hang with this guy. And I think that's actually sort of a sign of integrity, even though I don't like this guy myself. And even though there were a lot of things about him that he like would contradict, like the fact that he was like very anti-Western influences... He was super into Western aesthetics and he really brought Western aesthetics into his own home and into his own life. So it was sort of like, okay, but like, what's going on? He was also very pro, uh, like the emperor state. Yeah. But he really disliked the, the emperor that was emperor at the time when he was alive. Exactly. And he did not believe him in at all. He mm-hmm. he actually really disrespected him. Mm-hmm. So like, he, he had some he had some thoughts, but I do think that it is a sign of integrity that like, he didn't really, he was okay with not fitting into either the left wing or right wing label. He was like, these are my beliefs and neither community is going to really like me for it. But also it moved into him being like very isolationist, which is is something about like, you can sort of trace that back to his childhood because he was isolated over and over and over again. So he sort of started to embrace it and he sort of created his own sort of political movement which included him like very focused on teachings and like doing martial arts and he like sort of gathered a group of students with him which everyone sort of was like cool we don't like this is very toothless it doesn't matter they all had uniforms that Mm -hmm. i believe were either designed or entirely made by him which is a little culty Yes. Gonna be honest. Tiny bit culty. A little culty. And there are a lot of reasons to be like, ooh, that's a little culty. Including what we're going to move into now, which is the end of his life. So here's a content warning that I told you would be coming. We're going to talk about suicide. So don't want to talk about that. Cool. You can either skip forward or you can just stop the podcast. It's fine. No hard feelings. Take the time you need. You can also pause as many times as you want. Like, I don't want to tell you what you can do. Y'all have like autonomy, but just like remember that while we talk about the importance of knowing history, that does not mean that you have to endure every single gory detail of queer history. It is not your job as a queer person to put yourself through suffering to learn about queer history. And you can choose 
to hear the painful details, but it is not your responsibility and you can take the time you need, whatever that means for you. So let's just like, again, sidetrack. Let's just like remove this really gross narrative around queer history and around people who are focused on queer history, who are like, you have to know all these things. If you ignore the painful parts, you're a terrible person. You're a person. You get to make the space you want to make. While I definitely encourage you to learn about the painful parts of queer history, and I think the painful parts can bring good things into your life, that does not mean you sacrifice yourself ever. So clarifying point, let's move into it. Pause if you need to, stop if you need to, whatever you need to do, do it. Okay, let's move into it. So the dramatic ending is that he tried to stage a coup in on november 25th in 1970 mm-hmm. uh when he was 45 mm-hmm. years old mm-hmm. he and some members of his i think his, it was four students in the end yes yeah okay sorry he and and four members of of his of this group of his yeah four students cult. of his sorry <laughs> it might not have been a cult i'm not a cult expert but also a little culty Entered a, a military base under the pretense of, of doing a social visit mm-hmm. to the leader mm-hmm. and then ended up blockading uh, themselves in this room and giving this whole speech to the military, like, or not all the military, but like a group of soldiers basically being like, we need to put the emperor back in power again. And when the military was like, no. And ridiculed him and jeered at him mm-hmm. and really, really didn't listen to him. He committed suicide, specifically seppuku, which he sort of failed at. Like... He, he ended up not doing it the way that it was sort of meant to be done. That, that sounds a little weird to say that. But he, he did not do it in the way that it is traditional. And he died a pretty slow, painful death. He spent actually an entire year planning this coup mm-hmm. and, and his subsequent death because he knew that he was going to die. Yeah. And specifically, he, he was super, within his life, we touched on this a couple times, focused on the samurai and really, really loved the idea of seppuku. To an upsetting degree. He was very obsessed with sacrificing his life for a bigger cause. Mm -hmm. And in the end, it seems like it almost didn't matter whether or not the cause succeeded. Yeah, yeah. And we talked about this a little bit in the article. And I want to like just bring it up now. While he was definitely like, he knew he was going to fail. He knew he wasn't going to convince these people to join him. Like he was not under the delusion that he would. But while he definitely displayed the sort of like the idea that he was doing this only for political reasons, it's sort of shaky to believe that. He had a lot of views that sort of leaned into the idea of committing suicide as almost a valuable romantic thing to do. Which is obviously the idea of martyrdom was very idealized. In this yeah, point. he was like, "This is this is it. This is what it's about." And also, as we said earlier, he was incredibly afraid of aging. But sort of like just accept at face value that this is why he committed suicide doesn't seem like a full acknowledgement of like all the past that came before. But yeah, whatever the thing was, in the end, he he did commit suicide, and it's actually interesting because like. Like we said, he knew he walked into the situation knowing he was going to die. He had already set up a fund to make sure that none of his Mm co-conspirators got into trouble to protect them from like legal repercussions. And he even entered the situation unarmed or only armed with a 16th century samurai sword Mm -hmm. that he actually specifically used in ways not to hurt anyone. Yeah. And there's 
worse than that. Like, I'm glad he didn't hurt anyone and except for himself, which I'm not glad about, obviously, even if I didn't like the guy. But yeah, I think that's most of what you can say uh, around his life. His death did not bring around the change that he maybe thought it would. He died and it was sad and his family mourned and that's pretty much it. It wasn't this glorious death he thought it would be. It wasn't this romantic idea he thought it would be. He just died. And that's how, sort of how death is. So we're done talking about him. Um, Yeah, obviously there's a complicated legacy there. His work is still super valued and super valuable to sort of read as like queer classics. And yeah, I'm not sure what else there is to say about his life. He lived a, bi- a bit of a confounding life yes and played a lot of confounding roles Mm -hmm. and he left a very intricate legacy he definitely did and a very complicated one so yeah moving on from that now that we're finished talking about that we are going to move into our next segment which is wrecking the queers where we recommend things to you and you wreck us so first recommendation well i am going to talk about amy mckay's novel called witches of new york yeah And it is a delightful, like, low fantasy type of thing. Oh no, Will picked up the book and it, like, on the back, you know that thing where it just, like, only has reviews, like, compelling, fast-paced. Like, really? (laughs) Like, just give a summary. Just give a summary. Uh, It takes place in 1880 in in New York. (laughs) And we have witches. Nice. That live in New York in the 1880s. And who are queer. And who are queer. There's at least, one of them is a lesbian. (laughs) Uh, some of them are not necessarily queer. They could be queer. There are, I believe there are more books coming in the series. Ooh, There's, I didn't know that. I thought there was. There's at least a short story that yeah. I have yet to read. Actually, it's sort of funny because that's actually what I read. I, I just saw this really cute like little little book and I was like, okay, I put it on Libby. And I didn't realize it was a part of a series. And I just read it and I was like, what's happening? And then after I was like, oh, this is a novella. That's between books. So I have weird amount of context and I've just started the book actually. So I'm really excited to read it. But whether or not a second book is coming, I don't fully remember. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a really, really excellent book with really good world building. Mm -hmm. It has really compelling characters and the language is so beautiful. It just describes these settings so incredibly well. And it deals with ghosts and it deals with potions and there's... Birds? There's birds, there's there's a lesbian romance. All you really need in a book. Birds, yeah. ghosts, lesbians, witches. There is a um, ancient Egyptian artifact type thing. Okay. Uh, it's it's like an, an obelisk being taken, that has traveled all the way from Egypt and is being taken through New York. And it's like, you have these, and I'm not sure if they're fictitious or real, but you have these newspaper clippings mm-hmm. throughout the novel which you know I, I love a mixed media novel i really do and yeah it's a very very wonderful book i will highly recommend it i love all the characters it also has recipes in it right yes it has recipes in it which is super cute actually but like if that one doesn't have recipes i think that one has a recipe in it but at the very least if that one doesn't half spent was the night which is the novella that comes after at the very least has a recipe in it which is really cute i love recipes i love trying out things anyways but yeah so Pick up that. It is really wonderful and it's like so atmospheric mm-hmm. and it just takes you into this wonderful world. And like there are like th- sort of three main characters and they're all women and they're mm-hmm. all witches and they just run a tea shop. Amazing. Which is perfect mm-hmm. and ideal. Yeah. Iconic. So yeah, read Witches of New York by Amy McKay. Okay, now moving into where you wreck us. And this is someone who wrecked us emotionally. Hardcore. 
So for the holidays, we just got this really lovely donation from someone who left a really lovely note as well. And I just wanted to thank them for it. I always feel weird when someone gives us a donation of this size because like, I'm like, should I shout them out? But since we're a queer project, I don't want to say a name on here. Though this person has been sort of like a part of this project for a long time and I've always really loved them because they're just like, I love seeing them. Anyways, they sent us a donation for the holidays and it was just really sweet and it was super helpful. It was, it actually made a huge, huge impact on, on both my holidays emotionally, but also like financially in the next year, we were able to start a couple things that were really important to us because of this money. And a lot of the changes that we made were able to be made because of this money. And just like this person just taking the time and reaching out was so sweet. And I just like, my heart is warm every time I think about it. And again, like I I have such trouble deciding like whether I'm going to like say this person's name because like at the same time, I'm like, oh, I want to shout out everyone who helps us because it's amazing. And it's such like a touching thing for y'all to do. At the same time, I do recognize we're a queer project and I don't want anyone to accidentally be outed or any suspicion of like their sexuality to be revealed by me saying this. Or also because it's PayPal, because we have a a PayPal donation thing that you can find on our website, by the way, we do get a name and and I'm never sure if that's like the legal name or they're like the name they choose. Anyways, there's a lot of intricacies along with that that I just, I'm not sure about yet, but I just really wanted to say thank you to this person. They probably know who they are, but if you listen to this podcast, which I, I think you do, like I know this person, I've seen them a lot. They really engage with our project. Thank you. We really appreciated it. And we didn't say anything immediately because I wasn't really sure how to do it. But thank you. From the bottom of our heart. It was a huge, it was a huge difference. Thank you. Yeah. Anyways, thank you all for listening to our podcast. And for supporting us. Exactly. And enjoying our voices. Exactly. And Assuming that you did. Maybe you were really grumpy the whole time. Totally fair. I'm grumpy a lot too. Valid. Feel free to reach out to us. Mm-hmm. On any of our social media. Yeah. We, again, have Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, uh, Tumblr. If you're following our Instagram, you will have noticed by now what the big change is that we were teasing for a long time, which is instead of just like posting pictures like we used to, we are posting dates, sort of, where like an article... That we've read, I don't know how to describe it, but like if it's someone's birthday or death day or a whole bunch of other like dates that are important in queer history, we are marking them all. And if you got our queer history calendar, you will have seen a lot of them already. And also the queer history calendar was so cool this year. Anyways, but all of these days are like being recognized and all these stories are being recognized on our Instagram. So you should definitely follow it there. And follow us there and just sort of see all these different people that we've talked about. And maybe you'll see one that you don't recognize. And you'll, or you'll see someone that you love and you'll be like, oh, it's their birthday. And then or you can celebrate it. And you can celebrate it. Like, or unknown. mourn it. Or mourn it. If like, it's Magnus Hirschfeld's birthday slash death day, because he died and was born on the same day. Like, not on the same day, but like on the same date. But like, you can be like, okay, I'm going to like, I know, something like as small as like, listen to a scientific podcast or like, donate to a queer science project or something like that. I know. I feel like that'd be an incredible way to remember these people. Anyways, thank you all for listening. You can check us out on our website, www.makingqueerhistory.com. And you can email us at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And you can find all our social medias on our website. You can also sign up for our newsletter, which we've been doing some really cool things on that. So I'm excited for y'all to see it. We also have our Patreon, patreon.com slash queer history and i think that's it thank you so so much for listening we appreciate you all from the bottom of our hearts to yours yeah and remember 
history is queerer than you think. We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you Every step we're taking is history.